Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. We're minor streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. Alex Wong, co-host, producer, is away in, in, uh, in Cuba for the week. So enjoy your time off. Finish that book. And uh, when you come back, no more excuses. All right, we're going to have you on the show every single day locked in. Uh, but in the meantime, a friend to both myself. And also, Alex, Orrin Weisfeld, writer at large. What's going on, Orrin? How you doing? Hey, man, I'm good. Shout out to Alex and good luck with the manuscript. Um, I know he's in tough right now. He's in the dog days, but... Oh, I'm just, sure just he's brooding. in tough for sure, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, he's in Cuba. Mm-hmm. He got to finish the manuscript. It's not easy being being a, a writer. Yeah. So, you know, so he has my, my sympathy. Did you ever write... Do you ever go to, you know... Uh, uh, all you can eat. All, all. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not to, uh... rich. Well, William, I'm not okay. rich like Alex, so I don't. I don't have those privileges. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Some of us have to go to watch the Toronto Raptors play back-to-back games on the weekend. It was a. Uh, it's it a busy time, honestly. Um, and it was. I think for a lot of people, they just wanted to get down there. Um, uh, because you're not going to see this team again for another two weeks, and of course, if they make trades, and it's obviously increasingly likely that they do. Um, you might not even see some of them come back by the time, you know, the Raptors do. So um, we can start with the the Raptors-Knicks game because that one was positive and they actually won that one. Um, a little scary because the Raptors did hold the lead for a large portion, but then the Knicks came back in the third quarter, even briefly took the lead. But then that fourth quarter, the Raptors trusted their bench group. Orn, what did you see from that bench group led by Scotty Barnes, led by Gary Trent Jr., which was able to reestablish the lead and essentially not close it out, but put the Raptors back in a winning position in the fourth quarter. Yeah, um, I, I guess it starts with the defense. They they forced a lot of turnovers. It's a really big group with Gary being the lone guard out there, obviously. And they've been playing big groups for the last two seasons, and it doesn't always actually work out how you would kind of imagine where they're getting a lot of steals and they're getting a lot of rebounds and protecting the rim but that group actually did a really good job of that and like i was listening to your reaction show i think a lot of it is just what you said with especially the bench at times this season has come in the game and just not injected the energy that you kind of anticipate a bench group to to put into a game and they did a really really good job of that last night um just diving on the floor getting every rebound nick talked about it before the game how physical it was going to be uh, the rebounding and stuff like that. So they did a really good job with just their energy and their defense. And then Scotty deserves a lot of credit for the offensive way it was moving, just mm-hmm. the organization. I mean, he's been going back between center and point guard and center and point guard, whether Fred is in the game or is injured or whatnot. So for a guy his age to be able to kind of seamlessly flip between those roles is really encouraging. He hasn't been able to do that throughout his career, but at least this week, he's done a really, really good job. I know we'll talk more about Scotty, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, all five of those guys played well, and I was really happy with Nick. Just, it is an accountability thing. It's like, no matter what the name on the back of the jersey is, if you're not playing great, or if the other guys are playing better, mm-hmm. let's just roll with what we have and like, we will he shouldn't be afraid to bench anyone on this team and last night he wasn't so i was encouraged yeah no i mean um you wouldn't blame nick necessarily or you would understand where he's coming from because literally the night before 
um, the start of the fourth quarter, Nick Nurse says, okay, I'm going to go to my bench against Boston. And they gave up a 9 nothing run within the span of like a minute and a half, right? And that kind of gave the game away. Um, so you would understand his hesitancy in a very, very close game heading into the fourth quarter for him to turn to that bench. But at the same time, I think, first off, you just have to show them that accountability. You have to give them that chance. And I liked what Nick did on that front. Um, and then I think the other thing, too, is just like when things are rolling, like as you mentioned, stick with it. The Knicks called timeout twice because Tom Thibodeau was like, we got to really, you know, bring this group together, you know, like because we're, we're clearly giving up the game here. We need to solve something, um, you know, some way to attack the Raptors zone. Uh, probably need to find a way to stop them offensively, uh, which I didn't think the Raptors ran like beautiful sets or anything like that, but they just kind of got the job done. And both times after the Knicks called timeout, Nick Nurse stuck with, you know, his bench guys. And it wasn't until the three-minute mark when the Knicks hit back-to-back threes where Nick himself called that timeout, which is exactly what you want to see. Stop the momentum. It's a 10-point game at that point. You know, it's still a real chance where you can actually give up that whole game if you don't sort of take over. That's when he finally puts Fred and Pascal back in. And then, of course, they combine beautifully um, for, for that late three as well to sort of clinch it for Fred. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think... Orin, I think a lot of people might be asking, why why don't they play hard consistently, <laughs> especially the guys off the bench? I don't have an answer for that, but I, I do think, like, effort has not been the problem this season, I would say. Okay. Like, even now, where the Raptors have been so bad and lost so many heartbreaking close games, you still see them play against the Knicks and the Celtics this weekend. And for the most part, the effort has been there, right? Like... That has been really good, I think, for for a lot. I think what we see more than anything is like natural human tendencies where you miss eight shots in a row or whatever. Mm -hmm. Are you going to go and lock in on defense? Probably not to the same extent as if you just knock down those two open threes, right? Like stuff like that, I feel like has been hurting the Raptors problems. Their defensive issues go way beyond effort to me. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain times in certain groups where you do notice an uptick in in it but like at the same time i just think it's too kind of simplistic to say like oh if they played harder they would have five more wins or something like that like i can't speak to why the effort is inconsistent other than to say it's a young team and this this kind of tends to happen with young teams where guys it takes time in the league for guys to really understand like what are the habits and tendencies i need to do pre-game game day to really be locked in from from tip off and that takes time i think so it's a young team and and that could be part of the effort issues but yeah i do think it's honestly a little encouraging that even with the season really getting away from them Mm. i think some teams would have thrown in the towel by now and credit to the raptors for at least not doing that and continuing to play hard yeah i think that's part of the reason why it's been frustrating to watch because they have played really well in a lot of stretches here um there are not that many games right now where they're just tanking from the beginning like the last one i thought was atlanta which was you know uh, i guess a week ago um but at the same time there's been like five games in between and i think they've been competitive in all those five games and unfortunately there are two and three in that stretch but you know um they have been competing better i do agree with you on that front And, and i think some of that really has to do with the fact that offensively the raptors are quietly turning it around um, just looked up the numbers. The last 10 games, the Raptors are fourth in offensive rating in the league at 119.8, which is pretty impressive. 
Um, in that stretch, part of the reason why their offensive rating is high is not necessarily because they're making all the shots. We we can all see that there's still a team that you know uh, you know you'll miss a fast break opportunity here or you'll miss some open threes here or there. You know you're not really getting a lot of great shots. A lot of them are mid range looks. But what's fueling that fourth place in offensive rating in the last ten games is that they got the best turnover rate in the league. They never turn it over. They got the best free throw attempts in the league in terms of they take more free throws than anyone else. They're averaging 29.4 a game. I think last night they were at like 35. Um, and they're third best in offensive rebounds at 12.7 per game. So they're giving themselves extra chances. It's starting to look more like the formula that the Raptors sort of would have wanted to see coming into the season. And I think behind all of that too is just more importantly, the two guys that we've been talking about on the show like incessantly is Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet, and the two of those guys have really quietly turned it around. Let's start with Scotty because he had the great fourth quarter last night. What are you seeing from Scotty right now? Because offensively, he's clearly in a much better groove. Uh, we even saw him just fully run the show for the fourth quarter. We've seen him take over with the scoring in the fourth quarter, but we also just seen him sh- just like run the show and throw that obviously that the best play of the night with that uh, touchdown pass. What are you seeing from Scotty in terms of his offensive turnaround? Yeah, first, real quick on the team offense. Like, I just wrote this story about three-point shooting, and one of the stats that stuck out was that the Raptors are 26-4 and four when shooting 40% or better over the last two seasons. Hmm. And obviously, that's not a lot of times. I was just going to say, only 26 games. Some teams yeah, average so 40% shooting. It's 30, exactly. It's yeah. 30 times in 133 games. Like, the okay. Celtics averaged 40% shooting for, like, the first half right. of the season. So, right. it's not many times, but just to that point, like, over the last 10 games, the Raptors are shooting 38% from three. So, I think a lot of their offensive, uh, you know, improvement can just be chalked up to the fact that guys are finally hitting more shots. But yeah. that stuff's going to come and go. I don't know how much you can actually rely on the three-point shooting with this roster specifically. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, to move on to Scotty, I mean, this is a bit reductive to say, but like, first of all, he's just way more locked in. Over the last 10 games, he's averaging 1.5 steals and 1.5 blocks, which just goes to show like the defensive intensity, which you need from Scotty, is there. And it just goes to show that like he's he's way more locked in to every possession, which I think you see in the eye test. Mm. Like over the last not just 10 games, maybe maybe month or two like he's just really picked it up in terms of that effort and that intensity throughout the game but i think what's fueling some of the offensive improvement is he's not settling nearly as much like i know people get frustrated when scotty takes like five dribbles and then pulls up in someone's face and there is an infamous tweet about this but we'll just move on there is an infamous tweet he did it once last night but for the most part since like i would say the first half of this season he's really cut it out of his game and what i think he's doing a lot better at is the same thing that pascal is doing a lot better at this season which is like not settling if i have a big on me i'm using my quickness if Mm -hmm. i have a guard on me i'm taking them into the paint and scotty's just been doing this so relentlessly and what is happening too is the guys are defenses are are afraid of him because he's doing that and they're starting to send more help they're starting to send more double teams and that's really unlocked his passing mm. and uh yeah like he he's averaging 5 assists over the past 10 games and i, I know in the fourth quarters he's been like assisting or scoring on like 50% of the raptors baskets or something i'll i'll find the the stat right now but I think that's it. Like, he's not settling. He's 
punishing whatever mismatches on him. And then finally, the defense is afraid of his scoring mm. for, I would say, really the first time in like his career to this extent to where it's unlocking some of his passing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think last night was a was a great example of this, right? Because um, it wasn't necessarily just that he was setting guys up, which he was, um, but he was also able to take, what, eight shots in the fourth quarter, uh, went four of eight. Now, two of those were like late layups, but ultimately, like, I really liked his aggressiveness throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I think there was maybe not a little bit going on back and forth between him and R.J. Barrett. Like, it wasn't, like, the main plot of the game, but maybe, like, a strange subplot. I mean, I know that both guys went to Montverde uh, in, in, in high school, and, you know, there was sort of, like, a bit of talking back and forth on social just in terms of the quotes to the media and stuff like that. So maybe that sort of fueled into it. But I also think that Scotty just really liked the matchup, right? I think last game on the Raptors beat New York to start the week. Um, and, wow, what a long week it was, five games. But, um when they beat New York um, to start the week, Scotty did give that quote where he was like, yeah, I was looking to attack in the post against RJ Barrett because I felt like I could get a good shot anytime. And I thought he did a great job of that. In the, the fourth quarter, he really got that thing started by posting up RJ, getting to the basket, beating him with the spin move, missed the first look, but then finished the second look with an and one. Um, and, you know, there were a, um, a few moments throughout the game where Scotty was just really demanding the ball, right? And there was a play I described mm-hmm. um, in the third quarter where he had scored – in the post, um, the first trip down, the second trip down, he took up the spot in the same spot in the post, put his hand up, but the Raptors went a different way. Fred decided to go for a pick and roll with Pascal instead, which is a fine option, but ultimately, you know, you want to see how he responds to that. Third trip down, he just, he gets in that same spot in the post, put his hands up, is much more demonstrative about it, and just, like, demanding the ball. And Scott, uh, I think Gary fed him in the post. Scotty made a move, drew two defenders, found Precious for a cut, and Precious got two free throws. That's, to me, a sign of his mentality right now. He's looking to attack, which is, like, essentially what everybody has sort of top-down said to, to Scotty across the team. I think there was an interview with Chris Boucher where he talked about how everybody on the team, from the coaching staff to management to the players to everybody, you know, probably the equipment managers are probably all, like, you know, we want Scotty to be more aggressive. And I, I just think we're seeing a lot more of that. And it's yeah. translating regardless of sort of what position he's playing because we've seen games where he's played point. We've seen games where he's played center. Last night he played the wing because they had Precious in the lineup and also Fred on the lineup, which means that he's the wing. He's he's finding ways to contribute on all of that. And I just think that for a second-year player to figure this thing out uh, is, is a really promising sign because the Raptors really, really do rely on him a lot. Yeah, like this is this is the topic that I think is so it's such a lightning rod topic for the fan base. And I know me and you people have gotten mad at maybe the way that we've talked about Scotty in the early parts of the season. But Mm -hmm. it all I think came out of a place of like. Just like we're so impressed with Scotty and Scotty has been so good in his early NBA career that we know what he's capable of and the way he started off his his season at least for me this season was just like i was frustrated because i knew he was capable of more because Mm. i had seen it last year and to that point the biggest thing for me and and it it touches on exactly what you were saying about aggression was his free throw attempts this season went down from last season and that was like the biggest concerning stat i wasn't concerned about the three-point shooting i don't care like i wasn't even concerned about the touch around the basket i knew that would come back but like the fact that he wasn't getting to the line just showed me that okay he's shying away from contact i know how big and strong he is i know how dominant he can be down there especially against mismatches and now he he's finally inched that free throw attempt rate over uh last 
season. He's now at 3.3 a game. But do you know what he's doing over the last 10 games? How many free throws he's averaging? No, hit me. He's averaging 6.2, which is almost at at Pascal's level. Yeah. So, like, that's the biggest thing for me. uh, And and that's really encouraging. Yeah, no, we've seen multiple games here. 13 free throw attempts against New York. That was the game where they won in overtime. Um, Scotty with some – and those are key free throws, too. Like, just him crashing the glass, him going to the basket – in crunch time and overtime, uh, 10 free throw times against Atlanta as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's really encouraging to see him attack. Um, so it seems like they've gotten Scotty back to sort of where he was last year, if not slightly improved from there. So that's good. The other thing that was sort of hurting the team was Fred Van Bleed and sort of how he was playing. Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk in terms of just his role and, you know, what his intentions are in the free agency. Like, we've really hit all angles of this um, on a day-to-day basis. You know, there are still times where you do feel like, wow, Fred is really just taking way too many shots. Like in that third quarter, for example, Fred made two, which was good, but he also took nine shots, right? There, there were some real shaky attempts there where he was sort of forcing it going to the basket um, and trying to draw a foul. He even got a technical because he didn't get a call three straight drives. Now, of course, some of that was actually yeah. fouls, but I mean, ultimately... Can we talk about that technical? Sure. Let's, yeah, what's up? No, you 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 mentioned it in the in the post game, but wow, the way the ref gave him that tackle—that was one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen. Like, no, if Fred like, uh... threw a punch on him for that, I wouldn't have blamed him. And no. the way Fred looked at him after he gave him the tech was like, "What the <laughs> heck was this? Like, yeah. why did you just do it like that? That was crazy." And it's it's funny because I don't know, like, it wasn't the most like seasoned officiating crew, you know? Like, I don't think a lot of fans are just like you might you might have to be a diehard Raptor fan. To know Mark Lindsay, Aaron Smith, and Jenna Schroeder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but anyway, look, it's not like the Raptors weren't getting calls. Raptors got to the free throw line 35 times. I just think that, like, look, Fred was a little bit too aggressive in that third quarter, took over a little bit too much. But ultimately, in this recent stretcher, he's played much, much better. I don't think anyone will be really complaining. Um, you know, the last 18 games, essentially going back to when they lost back to back against Orlando, Fred Emily's averaging 22 points, five rebounds, six assists. He's shooting 42% from the field, 37% from three, 96% from the free throw line. His true shooting percentage is uh, above average in that stretch. I think it's about 58, 59%. Um, but 22, five, and six. Clearly, he's more productive. Um, his usage rate is actually kind of similar to what it was previous to that stretch. It's at 23%. Before that, it was 22, so virtually no difference. And when you compare this, look at last 18 stretch here, it's one point less than what he averaged last season. And his two-point percentage on the season is up four percentage points. His three-point percentage is down four percentage points. So obviously, you know, you know, you, you wouldn't want that trade-off because obviously threes are worth more. But he's cut down on turnovers. He was already low last season at 2.6 per game. Right now he's at 1.7 per game for somebody who handles the ball a lot and also is playing a ton of minutes. That's just like a really, really low turnover rate which isn't necessarily like the super sexy thing, but it's a very, you know, big part of sort of what makes the Raptors at least passable offensively is they just, just don't turn the ball over. But he's played basically back at what Fred Emily did last season offensively for the last like month plus now. And I think that has also, you know, not surprisingly coincided with their offensive uh, rebound here. What do you think is the difference here? Has Fred done anything different or is it is just more of a case of him just getting back to where he was last year? Yeah, well, I think to start with the positives, he is doing some diff- some stuff differently, especially within the arc. And you alluded to the two-point percentage going up. That's really encouraging because I'm definitely of the belief that his three-point percentage is eventually going to rebound to 
or, or steady itself to what he's done over the bulk of his career. There's just too large of a sample size of him being a good three-point shooter. Mm. And it has come back, like you said, 37% over this last stretch. Um, but realistically, on offense at least, I don't think you can... I, I think it's pretty clear to me at least that Fred has gotten better this season. Like Other than shooting the three, which has really fallen off a cliff, I think everything else he's doing offensively, whether it's some of the reads he's making out of the pick and roll as a passer or his his relentlessly attacking the rim and actually being a little bit passable rather than like the worst player in the league at the rim, like he has been for most of his career. I think what he's doing within the arc He's taken little steps to improve his game. Mm. With that being said, I struggle with Fred and his kind of long-term outlook on this team because you alluded to it. Like sometimes at the end of games, he's the only guy who can really like you need him as a ball handler. Like you said, he doesn't turn it over. The Boston game's a great example. Fred's out with an injury. Siakam has six turnovers because the ball's in his hands and nobody's getting the, him the ball in his spots. Like he has to do it all. Mm. So it's not tenable to just not have a point guard on this team. But at the same time, there are times like you just alluded to, like, and I feel the same way where he just dribbles the arrow at the ball or he takes too many shots late in the game. And it's like, I think I would rather someone else making these decisions at the end of the games. But at the same time, it's kind of just a part of who Fred is where he's an aggressive player he thinks he can make every shot. He has made really big shots in his career. Part of the aggression is what makes him great, as he's kind of alluded to on the JJ Redick podcast. So that's why I struggle with, like, mm -hmm. can he accept a smaller role, a real off-ball role on this team where he kind of sets up the offense, he gets guys into positions, but then mm -hmm. he's primarily a spot-up shooter? Or is he always going to revert to these tendencies of, being that aggressive scorer. Um, and that's that's a huge question I think the Raptors need to kind of have an idea about as they approach the deadline. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely this 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 push and pull, I think, probably mm -hmm. between Fred and even the front office and, 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 the, uh, and the coaching staff in the sense because um, I think, man, if you... And this is just speculating, but I really do think if you get Fred really honest about it, he'd say, like, look, mm -hmm. like this is above sort of what I should be doing. Right on, on a great team, I don't think Fred Bentley is a second option, especially the one that goes deep in the playoffs. Um, but at the same time, I think what you what he would hope to see is sort of more consistency from some of the guys, right? If there are games where, where Scotty is rolling, but then Fred takes over and dominates the ball, then, of course, you could definitely say, what are you doing, right? This is not your turn to do this right now. You don't need to do this right now. Um, and of course, Pascal is going to be rolling like 90, 90, honestly, he's been, he's been really good, like 90 for 90% uh, of the games this season. Right. So you don't have to worry about him obviously being in his role, but who's going to be that number two, who's going to step up in those moments. You know, if Gary's rolling, obviously he's not necessarily creating his own shot as much. So it's a little bit harder to sort of consistently give him the ball. If OG has, you know, he kind of has the same issue, but mostly if Scotty is like at this level where he's at this current, you know, month plus now. I don't think there's an issue for Fred to sort of take a step back and at least sort of play around that. In fact, actually, I think that there's actually good chemistry between the two of them right now playing in the pick and roll, right? You see a lot of Scotty's baskets are assisted by Fred, and I don't really see why the same couldn't be said on the other way around. I think Scotty's actually your most dynamic pick and roll player in terms of screening and catching the ball and making the move. He's good at making the extra pass. He's good at – he's great at making the extra pass, first off. 
He's good at finishing around the basket relative to sort of what the Raptors' other options are. So now all of a sudden you actually have another dynamic where even though I don't think necessarily right now Fred or Scotty is like a consistent number two option for a playoff team, them playing together can kind of get you to that point. But, I mean, yeah, I think ultimately, you know, Fred's going to be okay with it so long as other guys are kind of doing it. And I think that for him, you always get the sense that, like, if the Raptors are struggling, he takes it upon himself to sort of pull them out of it. Whether you want to call that leadership or anything like or even want to call that, you know, ego, I really do think that that's really just subject to interpretation. But at the same time, I think for me, like, he is trying to take responsibility for the team, and that is the leadership position that they put him into. So it's hard to be like, I'm the leader of the team, but also when the team's struggling, I'm just going to chill, you know? So it's a push and pull. I think there's definitely growth to be made on all, all, all fronts. But, I mean, I do think overall it's encouraging that he's been able to produce offensively. Are there any concerns for you defensively from Fred? Um, well, offensively, I just would say that, yeah, he does fit really well with Scotty and Pascal, which is why you you want to keep him on this team. Um, but and also to that point about if you asked him, honestly, he would say he would take a step back. It's probably true, but they just don't have the ball handlers to let him take a step back, which sure. is why he probably feels like he has to do this. Like oftentimes the ball just ends up in his hands and, and like until Scotty becomes a better ball handler and even Siakam a time, like for the, for the first part of the season, maybe it's fatigue, but I feel like recently that ball has been a bit more loose. So there's just not enough ball handlers on this team, which is a big part of why Fred has to do this uh, defensively. Yeah. The whole season has been uh, concerning and it's kind of, expounded if that's a word by the fact that gary is his backcourt partner who is not really improved as a defender as many people hoped since he became a raptor Mm -hmm. so the fact that gary and fred are your backcourt for a team that is supposed to have this identity of being a great defensive team being a big team um, that's a small backcourt first of all and second of all if you're going to be small you better keep the ball in front of you and neither of those guys have been good at that this year. Fred has a history of being good at that, but for whatever reason, maybe it's injuries. I don't know. Mm. Um, he's he's a step slower. He's still great off ball. He's still great getting dig downs and honestly, everything off ball. Fred just reads the game su- at such a high level. But yeah, it, it's concerning that he hasn't been able to kind of stay in front of these really good guards but more concerning maybe is the roster construction around him which is that gary can't do it either so Mm. now we're turning to og and now who's on the wings and i feel like all of those problems are kind of it's not just a fred problem it's a roster problem yeah no for sure i think look um being good at defense in particular obviously there's different components. I think yesterday, for example, was very instructive. I thought um, Lewis Asman of Raps Republic asked a really good question to to both Nick and I think to both Fred as well about in terms of just like changing his role defensively for the game. You notice a lot of these games recently, he's been guarding Brunson. Obviously, the Raptors have played the Knicks like four times in a month. So we've definitely seen different variations. But a lot of these games, he's guarding Brunson, right? And that's one aspect of defense. How's your on-ball defense? Are you able to contain? Are you able to sort of navigate screens, all that kind of stuff, stay with the ball, right? And I think in the past, Fred was really, really good at that portion, in addition to being good at the help portion. Now I feel like he's better almost as a help defender, right? Because you saw yesterday, for example, he was much more on Quentin um, Grimes. And a lot of the strategy for the Raptors was to just trap um, 
you know, Julius Randle, right? And and it was like anytime he has the ball, hard traps towards them. We know he's a very shaky decision maker. His passing can be quite erratic, mostly because he's Everything always... Everything about him is shaky. He, like, he, I don't even know what I'm watching when I watch him. This guy loves to jump I, pass. I, he like, he I goes tweeted, into the shot and then passes it off to the side. It's crazy. Yeah, I tweeted that yeah. Julius Randle plays basketball like he's mad at the basketball, and I think that's my best summary of of his play style. I'm, I can't believe Knicks fans watch this uh, 82 times. Although, I, I mean, whatever. They have more wins than the Raptors, so I mean, I'm sure they can say the same about the Raptors. But No, somehow it works, which is amazing. Yeah, right. Um, and he does come at you all the time, so he's consistently aggressive. But my point is, like, they had Fred in a different role where he's not on Brunson. He's, he's trapping the ball and creating deflections. And I do think that that's probably where he's better served defensively right now. But at the same time, you know, I think you do need to see better individual defense no matter what, right? I think that's that's something you got to ask for all of your players to be able to guard the ball, keep the ball in front. We know he's not necessarily that switchable, right? But at the same time, you know, like at least keep the ball in front, match some of the quickness. And if Gary's not able to serve that role, then of course you do have a bigger issue because of course you also don't have rim protection to sort of like clean up other guys' misses, right? We're, we're, the Raptors are very much relying on all their players to individually guard their matchup really well because no one's really there with the help consistently to sort of erase mistakes. Maybe when Christian Cloak is having a really good game, he's able to do that and you can see like potential, you know, two, three years down the line. But um, right now there isn't that sort of system set up. And that's probably why you hear all this trade talk for Yaka Proto, which uh, we will get to on the second side of this break. But, um, Orin, I appreciate you. Thanks for waking up early, you know. Uh, <laughs> sorry to disrupt Thanks, your, uh, your your routine. So, yeah. No disruption. I uh, appreciate you having me, and uh, have a good rest of the day. <laughs> All right, buddy. Um, we're going to take a break right here. I've been your host, Will, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will talk more trade talk stuff with Sportsnet's Michael Grange. Stay tuned. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1 866 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in leafsland real kipper and born be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back to the raptor show on the Sportsnet radio network i'm your host william lou and thanks to orrin weisfeld for joining us in the first segment and joining us for the second segment is michael grange of sportsnet Grange, how you doing, man? Are you going to be on this road trip? I am. I am. I uh, I feel like I should start packing. I'm starting to get stressed. Yeah, I was going to say, seven-game road trip. I mean, how much, uh, how much are you taking with you? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I will keep it to a carry-on. I just really? do not trust. Uh, yeah, I know. It's. Uh, I'll probably have to hit laundry once. But, I mean, I hope uh, so. For seven days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For seven games? That's 14 yeah. days. Well, I, to be honest, I'm, not, I'm, I'm doing fine, so I'm not doing okay. the last two. Fair, fair, fair. But um, the, uh, I do like to bring some workout gear. So, yeah, work uh, laundry is a must. But, uh, you know, I just don't trust uh, checking my bag, right? Oh, so that's right. I, 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 heard, uh, I heard you had some issues with that one. I've, I've had some issues, yeah. so I just, uh, just don't trust it. And it's funny. I got a story I'm going to do for Wednesday. I talked to Gary Trent and a couple of other guys about packing for road trips. Hmm. And 
it's different. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I imagine it's a lot different. You know, I was like, I was like picturing Gary needing like staff, but uh, he claims no. So really? anyway, well, should be fun. The outfits are, are are usually very lavish, is what you're referring to. Um, lavish right. and lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, listen. Speaking of this road trip, so the Raptors are going out west, playing seven games. Um, Grange, how many do they have to win before uh, Masai <laughs> makes a direction in terms of just like obviously they're they're not playing they're not getting the results right now, but they're playing better, which might actually hurt a little bit more. But ultimately, what do they need to do in this road trip to show management like this is a team that to invest in or this is a team to divest in? Yeah, I think they got to hit it pretty hard, pretty quick, right? Like I don't think they can uh, let it linger to the second half of the road trip and end up you know. Three and uh, three and four or whatever. I think they really got to show. I mean, I mean, Sacramento is a really good team, mm-hmm. and the kind of way, and also just such a good offensive team that in a way that would really, I think, challenge the Raptors even at their very best. So, you know, and then you're going to go into Golden State, and they, they you know, don't lose at home too. They're, they're they might well, be average on the season. They're great at home. Well, also, but they just they just lost to Brooklyn at home. Like they just coughed one mm-hmm. up. And so they're going to be an angry team. I think they're probably sitting around right now today going, okay, enough's enough. Uh, it's time to, you know, it's time for us to be real. And so I think, Draymond you know, they, teammate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then they go to, uh, they go to Portland on the third night and four, second night of back to back. So, yeah. so I think, I think those three nights will tell the story, you know, and if they're zero and three or, you know, they only kind of squeak one out against Portland, that's it. I mean, I, I don't know what else you really need to see. And I think what's interesting now, as you point out, is they are playing a little better. And they're, this is the healthiest stretch they've had. And I was just going through some Gary Trent numbers. And, I mean, he's played unbelievable since he got, um, back, you know, since he was out, you know, just before Christmas there, his last 13 games or so. Scotty Barnes, we've seen him play probably his, well, not probably, his best stretch of the season, mm-hmm. the last 10, 11 games. And, you know, Fred Van Vliet's kind of looking a little bit more himself lately. And, you know, so you just kind of keep going down the list, and you look at the last twelve games since the New Year; they're five and seven. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, so I mean, that, and they could be they could be much better than that. Like they've definitely had some kind of weird luck going on. But um, you know, I, I think if you're counting on this team doing something definitive in terms of you know reeling off wins and really showing that you know they need to, as you point out, invest. Mm. Rather than divest, I, I think you know. I, I think that's a dangerous way to think. I because I, I, it's possible they could do well, but I think you've got to look at the larger picture here. And it's this is a team that can't manage their injuries. This is a team that can't beat elite teams. This is a team that you know has had some luck in terms of who they played and when they played them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the results are more or less the same. Yeah. Well, uh, as you mentioned, you know. You get Milwaukee without Giannis, you lose the game. You get uh, Minnesota without both their max centers, you lose the game. You get uh, Boston without Jason Tatum, you lose the game. So, of course, like, some of those are close, sure. But, I mean, you know, you got to take those results. You got to take those gifts when they're there. The Raptors actually do have a positive point differential on the season, like, fractionally, like, plus uh, .02. For example, it's the same point differential as Miami. um, But Miami is 26 and 22. The Raptors are uh, 21 and 27. So I do think that maybe some bad luck is factored into the first half of the season, but come on, man. We're, we're talking about almost 50 games throughout the year. There's, there's only so much you, look, you can say about luck. 
Um, you know, uh, you know, every day we get a new Jakob Pertl trade report. I mean, I feel like this this program should just be called the Fred Van Bleet, Scotty Barnes, and Jakob Pertl show at times because that's 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 really what happens all the time. Um, yeah, the latest from the Spurs talk.com is that the Raptors have one proposal on the table, I suppose. That's like a three-team deal where Gary would be offered it to another team. San Antonio would send, you know, Jakob Pertl presumably to Toronto, and I'm assuming that third team will receive Gary and then send picks over towards uh, over towards San Antonio. Does, does that kind of deal make sense? Or have you heard anything similar to that sort of framework? Um, the only thing I've heard on the Yakim front is is obviously the Raptors really like him. Um, yeah. you know, this, this is very clear. Him, yeah, like, you know, they view him as elite uh, when it comes to defensive center. So they okay. kind of agree with everybody else. You know, we all see the same thing. Um, and that the price tag that San Antonio is attached to him, this goes back to last season, um, is two firsts, and um, you know the Raptors would know that better than anybody because I know they were kind of really in on that this time last year, and they mm-hmm. ended up doing the the Fad Young deal. Um, and so I, I guess my only hesitation there is, you know, as I pointed, my only comment on that would be the thing I've heard consistently when I've kind of asked around about Gary is I I, I don't think that Darren such a rush or they're so committed to moving on from Gary mm-hmm. as, you know, common wisdom would suggest, um, you know, and, and some of the reasons for that are, you know, I think he's really, he won a lot of fans for himself about how he handled that adversity in November, getting benched, all of that. And you, you know, you take out that little seven, eight game stretch there in November when everyone was out and he was kind of being asked to do too much and his numbers are outstanding. Like we're talking. Yeah. You know, 41, 42% three-point shooting. Uh, you know, since he came back, he's, you know, he's heading for career highs in all the important categories. And his defense is back uh, in terms of his ball disruption and everything. And so if you're, from the Raptors' point of view, um, you're dealing a 24-year-old who you know and you like, and, they, you know, you really respect him for how he works and how he handles himself, um, who has something that is A, at a really high premium around the league, and B, uh, you have almost none of, in fact, none. <laughs> you have none. Yeah, you have Gary. <laughs> Three points and like, sometimes like he's right. it. Yeah. And so you know, so then, so that's one thing to consider. And the other thing to consider is, um, as good as Jakob is, and this would go for any of the kind of centers people want to attach to the Raptors, let's say Miles Turner, whoever. Um, you know, Aiton would be another name that's probably going to end up kick, being kicked around, sure. is are these guys, you know, who you can play in the fourth quarter of really important games, in the fourth quarter of playoff games? And, you know, I think you really have to be careful about that um, because, you know, Jakob, for all the strengths he has, he's a non-shooter, he's a non-foul shooter. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you just got to be careful. You're, you know, and by the way, he's going to need a contract yep. uh, this this summer. Um, and he's not, you know, he's 28, I guess, probably same age as Pascal, roughly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, when you really kind of sort through that trade, you're getting off of Gary, who's 24 and offers a, an elite skill at a premium, at a, something you don't have much of at a premium area mm-hmm. for a guy who's three, four years older who has his own set of elite skills, but, um, you know, at least with, say, Preston Tichu, if you really believe in that, 
you know, you have a little bit of that. And, and I guess that's, that's the one I'm a little, I'm a little question of it. And also when you factor in the fact that, um, you know, he's not on a controllable deal, you are going to have to pay him. Um, you know, and so if you kind of look at how Gary got here in the first place, as you all know, it was trading norm for a guy who was, uh, you know, a little younger, ideally a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's why that made deal made sense. So, I'd be my rundown on that. Yeah, I mean that you know that's where you got to maybe do a little bit of that tampering kind of thing, and and maybe discuss the parameters of what a contract will look like <laughs> if we were to trade for an impending free. All that stuff. The Raptors would never, you know, what I mean, like this is come on, never. Tampering yeah. has never happened in them yet. Um, okay, that 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 makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I think the market for Gary probably will come in about twenty five mil per year, probably seeking the max term too. So probably like probably looking for like you know, you know four years 100 million dollars i mean how does that compare to something what 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 jacob might make because as you mentioned he's also a free agent as well yeah i mean the number gets attached there is kind of that four years 80 um so you know gary's a little more expensive um i wouldn't be surprised you could get gary potentially on a shorter term like if i was Mm. representing gary and keep in mind rich paul represents gary and gary rich paul is not a shy dude he was in the building um (laughs) i was talking to him um the um, as a complete aside, Rich Paul's book is he's got a book coming out. It's going to be the greatest book ever. Just an incredible story. Yeah. But uh, anyway, but um, so I think I think if you're I I don't know if you'd probably have to go really long in term with, mm-hmm. with Gary. Like I mean, if, if I'm sitting in his position, you know, he's he's made some money already. He's really young. Yeah. Um, I think he'd want to be. He definitely is one of those guys who believes in himself. Mm-hmm. So I think he'd be more inclined to go bigger money, shorter term, and want to get free agency. Hey, Grinch. All right, we're going to work to get Grinch back on the line. He was going to give us all the details on, on Gary Trent. Um, I mean, look, listen, I, I think it the shorter term deal does make some sense here from Gary because of the fact that, you know, he does have money in the bank as sort of, uh, what Grange was alluding to, but I mean, look, listen, if, if you're him, right, you might lock in for a, situ- a stretch here where you make 25 mil, but if you take that next step, and I really did think this last year where he was really having a career year, it was like, if he takes another step from this one, then you might be in discussions about him making closer to the max. And of course, that's where another sort of prove it contract might really sort of figure it out because I think when the Raptors first acquired him and then they signed him in the offseason that year, they got him on a two plus one deal right now. When right now we're in the second year of that and we're already discussing him going back into free agency, that was essentially a prove it kind of deal. If he does a similar deal, which is what Grange is essentially describing here, it does make some sense for him, right? And at the same time for the Raptors, they might also um, see that as something that makes sense for them because when you look at the long-term books on, or the players on the books, I mean, uh, you're going to have to pay a lot of these guys very soon um, because Pascal's in line for a raise. OG's in line for a raise. And if you do have a player on a shorter-term contract, it does at least keep you from sort of being completely tied down to a lot of long contracts on the books. But, yeah, Grant, you were talking about Gary Trent Jr. and sort of the possibility of him, you know, not necessarily taking a full four-year deal right now and potentially taking a shorter one sort of prove um, that he might be able to make an even bigger jump and earn even more. Yeah, I mean, you know, like if if you're a 24-year-old and – you know, you've already had one pretty decent contract in the books, and you know that I think twenty four twenty five is when the new TV money comes in and, and salaries are going to explode. Um, 
you know, maybe you do two years and, and, and then you want to hit free agency again, uh, but still only being 26 years old coming off, you know, even, uh, you know, having a longer track record, you know, maybe that's something they end up doing like three, two years in a player option or something. I, I wouldn't, I'd be a little surprised, honestly, if, if uh, it's almost at the point now because of the way that the CBA is going to shake out is your, if you want guys to sign longer term, you have to overpay. And that's like, you look at the Tyler Hero, Jordan Clark, or, um, uh, you know, Poole, Jordan, Jordan Poole, Tyler Hero, those kind of deals. They look kind of crazy, but that's because three years from now, you know, whatever 35 million is will be a relatively small number percentage of the cap compared mm-hmm. to what it is now. Right. And so, um, you know, so if you do go longer, then all of a sudden you probably have to do more dollars because uh, you're, in effect, you're buying up future for agency. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Gary Trent in the last 13 games averaging 23 points per game, shooting 45% from the field, 39% from three, 90% from the free throw line. There's there's true value. Oh, and 2.2 steals as well, which I think is pretty key stat there. Of course, you would like to see him diversify his game, but clearly what he does, he does at a really high level. And uh, for a young player, he's going to make a lot of money in this league based off of that. Um, no, Gridge, I was thinking about just the Raptors and this potential pivot towards like, okay, if you know they sort of retool, rebuild or whatever – and I was thinking about the viability of it. And, you know, it, it was uh, something that really kind of hammered into me yesterday when it was, I think, reported that that was the first game in a very long time for the Raptors at a home game where it wasn't completely sold out. There are a couple factors between that. Obviously, they played two games back-to-back at home. Obviously, they're not playing well. It was snowing. I don't know. The NFL playoffs is going on, I suppose. All sorts of stuff is going on. Um, but I do wonder, like, if the Raptors were to pivot into sort of what they did in Tampa what kind of additional hurdles would they have to go through? Like, do you think management is kind of okay with that idea of like, oh yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna like punt a few seasons here, and <laughs> it'll be good for the long term. But in the meantime, all these uh, all, all the premium prices that we're charging right now, we're just gonna keep them as is, or you might have to eat a loss. Is is that a conversation that needs to be made? Because to me, it's probably, but I know much less about this than you do. Yeah, I mean that is the kind of thing that you have to engage ownership. Um, that's not, uh, you know, Sayajiri as much uh, autonomy and, uh, you know, freedom as he has and uh, with the organization, like he wouldn't have that much, right? And, and he wouldn't want that much, right? Like I, I think, you know, the key when you're going down a road like that and um, is you got to have ownership, understand it, they've got to be on board. And then you kind of pivot to a different way of marketing your team as well. Um so, you know, I think those conversations, the, you know, the, the relationship between Larry Tannenbaum and Masai is obviously very, very good. Mm-hmm. And the trust is very, very high. So I think if, if they wanted to go kind of that drastically, um, yes, they would have to have a conversation. Um, and I, you know, I presume that, that Masai would be trusted if that's really what he believed he wanted to do. Um, and, and, you have to have that buy-in for it to work uh, because, you know, the, the ones where it doesn't work, <laughs> right, that, that's usually because somebody gets cold feet too soon and, and you end sure. up in no man's land for a long time. So, But I, I think, you know, as really said, like that seller, I had sort of the same thought, interestingly. And I think if you were to go down that road, and I'm not sure how hard the Raptors have to pivot that way. Like, I, you know, I don't know if they'd have to – sell off everything mm-hmm. and you know whatever we were to make between now and even into the next summer 
returns would be pretty significant. Um, and so I think it'd be pretty easy to kind of start selling hope and future. And, and, you know, I had the, I was watching uh, games on Friday night and you saw New Orleans, OKC, Sacramento was a little bit different category and, um, and Orlando, those are you know, the teams I've watched. And, and you got a lot of time in your hands. Great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, you know, what's remarkable uh-huh. is if, is if the decisions are made at the right time and, uh, you know, it doesn't take that long to put on floor a team that's really exciting and, you know, you, people buy in on that. And, and I think it's a little easier selling law than it is trying, you know, if you were to stand pat somehow this year and you come back and. All right. I'm going to try to complete Greg's point because I, I do see that there is definitely some sense of sort of selling that hope. Um, and I think, look, there's two types of tanking, right? There's the, definitely the full, like, you commit to tanking hardcore and, um, you know, you just, like, fully pivot in that direction. We're talking about, you know, what Sam Hankey did in Philadelphia for, you know, four or five years there. Um, you know, I, I suppose what's happening in OKC as well, although it was recently pointed out in a recent episode of the Low Post that OKC has really only been that bad for like two, three years. They have been competitive otherwise than that. Um, but, you know, we've seen sort of extended rebuilds, right? Um, or Orlando, for example, is a bit better example where they've sort of been, you know, just basically non-relevant for, for quite a while. I think the argument would be sort of more like you take a step back this season. You make it a more prudent thing this season. Of course, you eat a bit of a loss this season, I'm sure a lot of people holding these season tickets are going to be happy with sort of seeing a product that may not be in, in a winning environment. But listen, you're not seeing that product right now on a consistent basis anyway. So what are you really holding on to? And I think that's where for, for a lot of people, they make, they understand that, okay, we take this step back right now. Maybe we make one trade here. Maybe we make one player unavailable here. There's not great depth on the Raptors where they can sort of consistently play without some of their key pieces. And of course, if you move them or if you rest them, there are things that you can do to sort of at least juice up your odds for this year. And to be clear, you're not going to be one of the four worst teams in the league. So you're not going to be in the very, very upper echelon for the for the picks. But at the same time, the lottery odds have flattened out. And if you do one year of it, you add one more piece to your roster and you're able to maintain most of your other core pieces, maybe then um, you're able to uh, you know sell that in a more palatable way that it's a temporary thing. It's the most prudent thing to do for this year. And hold on, hold faith in this group. We're going to get it back together. We're going to add more pieces to it. And we'll be back to winning as soon as next year. Then it's probably a lot easier of a sell. Any sort of long-term sort of like tanking where you trade all your pieces away for picks, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm really convinced that that's not going to happen. But if they do see that opportunity, especially if they, you know, lose five in this road trip here and it's, the season is really, really, really just gone, then you probably have to go in that direction. But listen, we've run out of time. Thanks to Grange and Orrin for joining us on the show. Um, but I've been your host, Wolu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Make sure you find the show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Big thanks to producer Derek Brandale. Thanks to producer J.R. Manitad as well and Jennifer Olney for helping us with the YouTube stream. And we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. 